crush on radio is a weekly podcast about being a music fan and all that entails hosts and music geeks richard j anderson and drew marvin and matt keely talk about what they love what they don't and most importantly why it's going to get all the way up to 78 today which you know for a seattleite that's you know just on the side of too fucking hot <laughs> so yeah yeah you you and your pacific northwest weather where 80 degrees is hot i know it's it's <laughs> kind of funny because like like uh quinn's from texas and she is like constantly like Oh my god, it's so cold. How can you do this? And I'll be like in like jeans and a t-shirt or or shorts or whatever. And I'll be like, what? It's it's hot. <laughs> I'm looking forward to uh to jeans and a t-shirt soon. Yeah, the fall can't come soon enough. The summer's been ridiculous. Here we've had about maybe two two days of actual summer so far. Where it's like it's kind of weird. It's like the one corner of the country that has nothing. Like I, uh, I talked with a client um, a couple weeks ago in, uh, I think he was in uh, Wisconsin, maybe like you know maybe Michigan, but I think it was like Wisconsin. And he was saying that they they were so hot and dry they actually had like fire warnings, which surprised me because you know I usually think of that place as mild to cold. You know, yeah, yeah. global warming. Uh, now we're going to get the emails. <laughs> okay. Of course, we're not here to talk about the weather. This is a special episode. We're going to be joined uh, in not too long by uh, – well, why don't you tell us who it is? Okay. It's a, a friend of mine. Um, his real name's August, but we all call him Ant because his uh, – that's his uh, screen name is Aunt Geth. And then we just shorten it to Ant and, you know, there we go. So, But um, he is a, a king collector nerd. Um, he, he, um, he'll go into like lots of his thing, uh, his collection, of course, when he comes on, but, um, he's got a lot of, uh, Beatles stuff. Uh, they might be giant stuff, XTC stuff, Dylan stuff. And I think go team, I think are his five bands. And this is the guy that I mentioned like about maybe a month or two ago who has something like, uh, 30 copies of the first, they might be giants album, like different, different pressings. 30 more than I have. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it, I, I think the official number is like 28 or something, but well, he'll, he'll know. Wouldn't the more appropriate number be 23? That's true too. Okay. 32, 32 footsteps. If my, if my, they might be giants lore is up to date, then, you know, 23 and 32 are, are, are big numbers there. Oh yeah. Yeah. The, the, the first show where it was like, uh, it was the 23rd. There were 23 people there. They got paid $23. <laughs> that one <laughs> yeah but but yeah and uh he's got some really cool stuff and um he he lives down in portland got to visit and i got to see some of his super awesome collection and i, I won't spoil all of the cool stuff that he has but rest assured he he's got a lot sounds good to me 
And next week, hopefully, we'll have another crazy collector nerd and absolute music geek, uh, Michael Pilmer. It's tentative, but we might have Michael Pilmer of Devo Obsesso on uh, next week as well. Yeah, and if you haven't checked out Devo Obsesso, it's even if you're not a Devo fan, it's pretty impressive just because it's, you know, it's a lot of Spudwas. <laughs> He's got almost every Devo-related object you can find. Yeah, and I think the the cool thing with this is like ants more into collecting the the records and different pressings of records and stuff. And I and I mean I know Pilmer's got a lot of records, of course, but I think he's more into the stuff. Uh, I think it's both because he's also he's on a big kick collecting like early synth pop stuff now. So oh, cool. Before we invite Anton, we have some picks we have to talk about, don't we? This I, is true. I, I guess we do. I feel like we haven't done a pick show in a long time. Actually, yeah, it's kind of funny. I mean, it's just been like the one, but I mean, it's not making sense because I mean, I guess movies were kind of picks. But yeah, we actually had to listen to records this time. What the hell? It was weird. I'm so lost. Who wants to start this one? I feel like I haven't started in a while. Okay, go for it. Go for it, man. All right. So my pick this week is John Mayer's latest album, Born and Raised. I guess this is probably one of the most mainstream, supposedly, artists that I've ever chosen for the show. And... I only recently have become enamored with John Mayer as a musician and as a songwriter. And I think to, to set this up, I think a lot of the my favorite artists, you know, like Rush and Dave Matthews Band and stuff, have different periods uh, over the course of their careers. And that kind of what helps keep them interesting, because if it's the same, the same sort of sound after every album with little to no innovation, things can stagnate pretty quickly. But John Mayer has fascinated me over the course of his... Uh, discography, just in the progression uh, and the different sounds that he's explored. So I was aware of him back, I think he hit, he came onto the scene back in 2001 with Room for Squares and Heavier Things a little while later. And, you know, Matt, you're famous for saying there's no shame in a great pop song. And that's how I feel about uh, Room for Squares. Just a, I think it's a fantastic, you know, acoustic pop record, you know, even though He's got lots of teenage squealing girl fans. I mean, those are some great songs uh, on that record. Body is a Wonderland, notwithstanding. Um, <laughs> and I, I only really say that because it's been so overplayed, you know, on the radio. Kind of like Crash Into Me has been with the Dave Matthews Band. Uh, after Heavier Things came out, and uh, well, let me back up a minute. So the thing that really helped me to sort of understand, I feel, John Mayer as a person and as a musician is I watched his 2008 Berkeley Clinic. Um, he gave a, a clinic on songwriting at the Berkeley College of Music in Boston. And when I watched that, it's like a 10 or 12 part video on YouTube. It's in the show notes. And when I watched that video, I just got a whole new level of respect for him as a songwriter and as a musician. And he's just, you really get the sense that he's a brilliant guy and he knows both the scientific aspects, you know, like the, th the theoretical aspects of music, as well as the, the more emotional side. So I strongly recommend if you have an hour to kill to watch that, uh, Watch that Berkeley Clinic. It's very uh, eye-opening. So, and one of the things he mentions in uh, the Berkeley Clinic is that when Heavier Things came out, the record company or whomever the suits were um, were pressuring him to put out the song "Daughters" as the next single. And he didn't want to put out "Daughters." He was like, "If I put this out, I'm going to be sensitive singer-songwriter guy for the rest of my life, and I don't want to be that person." Um, so that on its own was just fascinating to me how he would feel a certain way about his songs and which ones have to go. Uh, have to go on the radio. The song made it out anyway, and he ended up getting uh, Song of the Year for Daughters uh, that year, um, which kind of gave him some inner conflict. But so then, after that, he decided to do explore the whole trio um, scene with Pino Palladino and Steve Jordan and do like a real blue 
blues guitar-based uh, trio experience and sort of combined it with the singer-songwriter side, and that's what came out. Uh, that's what produced Continuum, which I think is probably still one of his strongest uh, records. And then Battle Studies came out, and then Born and Raised just came out uh, this year. And it's a real, kind of like Continuum was a, a really sharp change in his sound, going from acoustic pop to more blues-oriented. Born and Raised is very um, folky and Americana and a little bit country. And when I first heard it, you know, I was pretty dismissive because it seems like, in a lot of ways, a step back from his, you know, really guitar-oriented stuff. But I think that after kind of learning more about him and... and uh, trying to get a little bit more insight into who he is as a person. I think that Born and Raised uh, really shows a true maturity in, uh, in songwriting. And one of the songs, I love a bunch of songs on this record, but one of the songs that I picked was something like Olivia, and we'll play that song for you guys now. When Olivia is taken But it look like hers can be found from time to time Yeah, Olivia is taken but I look like hers can be found from time to time I'm thinking something like Olivia is what I need to find I think that what fascinates me about John Mayer is, number one, he's, uh, in my opinion, a brilliant guitar player and a brilliant songwriter. Um, and if you can get past the sort of pop idol side of him, there's a very complex individual uh, in my eyes, and because a lot of the songs that he writes about are about the sort of the quarter life crisis thing and growing older and my parents are getting older and who am I and that sort of thing. And that really speaks to me when you look at the whole progression of his records. And he did some interviews, you know, with Playboy and stuff that were he got a lot of heat for. So the other thing that fascinates me about John Mayer is that he's also a deeply flawed <laughs> individual and is capable of making mistakes, you know, just like we all are. After watching the Berkeley interview and kind of delving into his discography a little bit more and kind of getting a better idea of the big picture, I've been able to sort of um, see past the the John Mayer, the pop idol, and the John Mayer, the quote-unquote douchebag, <laughs> and see um, a musician that I really uh, appreciate. And um, I think that's all I have to say about that. <laughs> yeah, It's interesting because my association with John Mayer is actually, oh, that's the guy who's always playing at the Apple events. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, oh yeah, I I've heard, I knew I I've never heard anything by him until I listened to the record. But oh, John Mayer, that's that's the guy who always plays at the at MacWorld or whatever. Weird. What year that was? Yeah, uh, two thousand. Like I'm looking on, on the Wikipedia article, but yeah, two thousand. He played in two thousand four and two thousand seven, and uh, probably and a couple other times I think too. But I listened to MacBreak Weekly, and every time they uh, for a while it was like a running joke on there. Uh, whenever there was an Apple event, it was music related. So is John Mayer playing again? Anyway, that, that's not talking about the album, though. I thought it was okay. Um, I listened to it. Something like Olivia is probably one of the better songs on there, but it's very much a country record, in my opinion. And I don't say that as a bad thing, but comparing it with the other country record we've done on here, uh, Rob, the Robbie Folks record, I'd rather listen to that. I just think that's a bit more energetic and a bit more... I like the songwriting better. Yeah. I think that... I mean, because, uh, Matt, you're the Robbie Folks uh, kind of story. He's a dedicated country artist, right? Um, not really. I mean, that's, like, country, like, the bulk of his music is country, but I mean, like, like the Couples in Trouble album was more of a rock record. Yeah. 
And then he has some stuff that's like really straight up like old school country, kind of like the um, Billy Giants record, which is all covers, but it's, it's very old school sounding. And, but I mean, like his first record, which was called Country Love Songs, is actually produced by uh, Steve Albini even. So I think that, you know, compared to the rest of the stuff in John Mayer's uh, discography, Born and Raised can seem just okay because it is, like I said before, it is just so different from the guitarist-oriented sound. And even from the, the real acoustic pop-oriented songwriting, uh, it's very stripped down. And he said it's, uh, he feels it's one of his most honest and, and cohesive. And I think you can, uh, it can be easy to dismiss it as um, him trying to impersonate or just trying to adopt the country-esque style for this record. But I think that, I mean, he's in his early to mid-30s now. And what as you grow older, like you're, you become interested in different things. So I know that when he was getting ready to record Born and Raised, he had just, John Mayer had just gotten into uh, Bob Dylan. And I think that before, um, before that, I think he said in interviews that he, he knew about the influence of Dylan and stuff, but it had never really clicked for him. And it was only until, you know, this particular point in his early to mid thirties or whatever, that Dylan made sense to him finally. And as such, it, influenced quite a bit of his songwriting on this record just that experience in particular clicks to me because i've had bands that i have tried numerous times to get into and they just they don't click they don't click and then all of a sudden you just put it on on the right day when you're feeling the right emotions and it's just the right moment and that for some reason that's the day that it clicks with you and so i think that when we pull back and there are a couple of john mayer records after born and raised we'll be able to look at this record and sort of see it just as that's what he was into at the time. And that's what he was being influenced by uh, at the time. I don't fault any artist for trying something different. I mean, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a fan of Neil Young and his period during the 80s where he was doing all kinds of weird shit, including the electronic record Trans, which I love. Yeah, I don't Woo. fault. <laughs> and so do you, Matt. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, if anyone wants to give someone static for trying something different, yeah, that's. I don't think that's fair. I mean, it's it's one thing if he wants to try if you're doing something different and it sucks. And I'm not I can't say whether this is better or worse than his other material because I haven't heard it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyone who really wants to go, oh how how dare he uh, go country or how how dare he go electric, you know? Right. To go back to Dylan. <laughs> <laughs> I think that uh, this um, you know it is even like hardcore John Mayer fans are kind of shocked when they first hear this record because it is so stripped down and it's so unlike um, all of his other stuff. But um, when you spend, like for me, I had to spend quite a bit of time with it to sort of get where he was coming from and to see that it's not a step back, it's actually a step forward, I think, in in the maturity of his songwriting. Sounds about right to me, I guess. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, different is not good or bad, right? No, yeah, different's just different. Right. Yeah, for me, it's kind of funny because, like, uh, John Mayer's got a lot of baggage for me mm-hmm. because I do work in radio. <laughs> yeah. So basically, when I think of John Mayer, I think of, you know, douchebag with an acoustic guitar, your body is a wonderland, that kind of thing. And then, like, basically the interviews and stuff that have been popping up or, like, the thing where he crashed the uh, the stand-up thing and was a complete asshole. And, right. you know, so, I mean, I'm basically thinking, like, Okay, this is like yeah, I, I even I, I just joked a little bit with Rich, I was like, Oh my god, why is like Andrew like foisting John Mayer on us, you know? That's <laughs> like, okay, that's it. Next week you're getting throbbing gristle. <laughs> Ooh, I don't even know what that means, but it sounds painful. <laughs> 
but I mean, I I do when I do listen to these to records on on crush on for crush on radio. I you know even even with baggage like that, I do go in raw, giving it a, a fair listen. And I have to admit, I actually kind of liked it. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 one where like. Um, I, I liked the organ, especially on on stuff like uh, something like Olivia a lot. Like, do you know who was playing uh, organ on the record? I don't off the top of my head. Okay, but it was cool, and I mean, like, it was kind of stuff like that. That I mean, a lot of the country or the album was kind of country, mm-hmm. but it, some some of the stuff like that gave it kind of a Memphis Memphis soul kind of feel. Yeah, yeah. And I'm not a big country fan by any stretch of the imagination, but um, for some reason, this record does uh, speak to me in a way that most country music does not. Yeah, and I mean, it's one like I mean, I, I really you know like the organ and stuff because I am kind of a sucker for organ anyway, and I was kind of like impressed with um, the the music side of things. Mm-hmm. But the problem for me with John Mayer is I don't I don't like his voice very much. And I think his lyrics are really pretty artless and, like, cliche. Hmm. Like, I mean, I, I just seemed, like, kind of, like, it just seemed like kind of like a clearinghouse of cliches just strung together. And I, I just was thinking, like, if he had, like, a a vocalist um, in his band that wasn't him and, like, a Bernie Taupin, like, that, like, he would rule. Huh. Just because. That's interesting, yeah. Because, yeah, because, I mean, like, it just seemed like with the lyrics, it was just seemed like a lot of them wouldn't really pick out and the ones that did were like, you know, just sort of cliche phrases and I'm I'm going to actually like see if I can bring up the lyrics for uh Born and Raised just so I can kind of I think that uh you know, similar to the music, the lyrics are a bit more stripped down on this record, but I've never thought of his lyrics as being um sort of cliche. I mean, Your Body is a Wonderland again is kind of a a rough spot, but I mean, you th- look at a song like "My Stupid Mouth" or something on uh, on uh, "Room for Squares," and you know, I I suppose you could. It depends on who you are, but I mean, you could see those as cheesy. But I just think that those uh, a lot of his lyrics are so I actually consider them quite well done and um, and unique. So um, yeah, I don't know. They just didn't quite do it for me. And I mean, there'd be like a few that would almost. Like I kind of liked some of, um, uh, and I'm I'm just talking lyrically here. Mm-hmm. Um, the Walt Grace's submarine test. Yeah, I mean it's kind of cool, but there's just some stuff in there that just seemed a little, I don't know. It it like I think if he were to collaborate with someone on the lyrics, he would do a lot better. Just just because a lot of times it just seemed really. Almost like uh, the completion backwards principle by the tubes, where that that the, it was like their hit record, and the joke of it was is that they were rewriting like current then current hits, basically to you know make a quote unquote popular record. And it actually ended up working, mm-hmm. <laughs> and but I mean it's sort of to me it's almost sort of like that, but without the the veneer of irony, <laughs> you know. I just hmm. I, I don't know, and I, and I think too the as the album. It did have a little bit of a samey quality. Like I think, like if he had changed up the tempo on a few of the tracks, it might have worked better. But I mean, honestly, honestly, I was shocked that I didn't hate it. <laughs> well, that's pretty good. I mean, again, like you said, I mean, he does have this douchebag stigma, and um, I have no doubt that he was a douchebag during you know the Playboy interview and crashing the stand-up comedy thing or whatever. But to me. I mean, I'm willing to sort of look past that and kind of chalk it up to 
and he said this in interviews. I've got a, a quick clip when he was on Ellen after I think 2010 was when the Playboy interview came out and he, you know, he owns up to it and he says, I did a couple of dumb interviews. And at that point he felt the need that he had to uh, take a step back. And that's why for uh, a couple of years he was kind of out of the spotlight and he moved to Montana and everything. And he just kind of had to take a step back to reevaluate because he says that, um, you know, in the beginning he was, the goal was to get, um, to succeed, you know, as a songwriter, to, to quote unquote be famous. And then once he was famous, you know, you have to kind of decide, all right, what do I do next? Like what's going to become the driving goal? So I think his, his, he did have a douchebag phase. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think that, uh, and he, you know, he owns up to it. He says I needed to be 33 instead of 28 for the fourth year in a row. Um, and I think that, uh, that's kind of one of the reasons why I like him is that he's, he's, a, a brilliant songwriter, in my opinion, but he also has flaws and is struggling with all of these different issues uh, along with fame. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. I'm just I'm fascinated by him, and uh, I'm gonna keep a closer eye on on him in the future. Yeah, yeah. I think for me, it's it's, it's still not something I would necessarily seek out, but I, at least now I can kind of get where people do talk about him as being talented, just because it, you know, when when all you really know are like the, the singles, and you basically have you know the your body is a wonderland kind of thing. And you're just go like, Oh God, <laughs> you know, it's, I mean, that's the it, whole thing. Right. It, it's hard to, it's hard to like, you know, give somebody credit for it's due, you know? And, and I, I, here I am and I never thought I'd really actually say this, but I like John Mayer act, is like a very talented guitar player and, and the music side of songwriting. Right. I agree. And even, um, if you want to sort of try to like get to know John Mayer a little bit, Bit better. I do recommend that Berkeley interview, and uh, even though it it's from 2008 and it's right after Continuum came out, and uh, he talks a lot about his songwriting process and you know the emotional side of songwriting and and the as well as the technical side, and you really get a sense of um, what a smart guy he is, just in terms of uh, musically as well as uh, I don't know what you would call it uh, overall. So I don't know. He's a an interesting figure in my eyes. Cool. Yeah, I just was like, I, I know I never would have sought this album out on my own, mm -hmm. and I, I I was going in expecting to be all like, you know, skip, 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 skip. But I I didn't. I actually mostly enjoyed it. You know, it wasn't something that like I was like really like super into. Like it didn't it didn't convert me or anything. But I mean, it was like way, way, way better than I thought it would be, and I was actually, you know, I could, I could hear goodness there. <laughs> yeah, and I don't think that. I mean, I picked this record because it was his latest one, and I kind of wanted to talk about the whole John Mayer uh, evolution. Um, but I, I still think I would recommend Continuum as his strongest album, just because it does mix the the guitar chops oriented blues side with the songwriting from his first two records. But yeah, you just you have to get past the single because and this is one of the things he talks about in the Berkeley interview is that when you pick a song to go to radio as a single you're saying this is what I want people to think of me and um which is why when Daughters went to radio he didn't he didn't want it to be the next single because he knew that it would stigmatize him as this sensitive singer-songwriter guy mm -hmm. and uh when you look past the singles I think there's a much more complex musician and a much more interesting person there than Your Body is a Wonderland would suggest yeah that was a lot of John Mayer. Yeah, <laughs> I think we're ready to move on. Riches. <laughs> yeah. Well, I really want to talk about Matt's pick. Okay. Um, I uh, For this uh, week, I picked uh, Andy Preboy's um, second solo album, 
uh, Sins of Our Fathers. Um, you might know Andy Preboy as the guy who replaced Stan Ridgeway in Wall of Voodoo, if you if you know him at all. If you if you if you don't, then I guess then it's just sort of like, oh, here's some guy. Um, he also is one of his other kind of claims to fame is that he wrote uh, Tomorrow Wendy by Concrete Blonde, and he even he he has a version of that as well. I love this record. Uh, this was got uh, Isla got me into this one a, a, a lot too. Actually, is like she was the one who turned me on to it, and then it's like I just basically it was another one that I, uh, it took me a little while, but then I ended up falling in love with it and like listen listening to it like over and over and over. And uh, the track I chose uh, as the hook uh, is "Robbing Her Own Room," which has a cool little Minnie the Moocher kind of riff to it. So let's hear a little bit of that now. I just really like this one. Um, it's kind of funny because, like, uh, for a long time, I I had that kind of, I guess, like, uh, prejudice where it was sort of like, oh man, the band got rid of its like lead singer and songwriter, therefore everything else they do is bankrupt. <laughs> and, and then I, when I actually went around to listening to the uh, Andy Preboy era of Wall of Voodoo, I was like, wait, this is really good. I mean, like, you have stuff like uh, Far Side of Crazy, which I've I've uh, thrown the music video in for in the show notes and that's like a really great song and i mean blackboard sky from um same record um seven days in sammy's town um a lot of this stuff is like is really 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 good um it's it's different than uh stan ridgeway era but it's but again as we were talking about you know not too too long ago Different doesn't necessarily mean good or bad. It's just different. And I think once you kind of wrap your head around the, the fact that this band that has the same name as this other band happens to be a little bit different now, and you can kind of appreciate them on their own merits, you know, you can do that. And then when Wall of Voodoo collapsed, uh, Andy did a couple of solo records, and he's recording again, which is really great. Because uh, for a long time, there was just radio silence from him. Except for like one thing that he did was a a, a play called a uh, White Trash Wins Lotto, which was about Axl Rose, you know, going from you know small town to being this like huge you know huge famous guy and you know Guns and Roses and all. And I've actually done a a clip from Conan O'Brien, the Conan O'Brien show, uh, late night, uh, where he and the cast of White Trash Wins Lotto do sort of a little condensed version of, and and do like a, a a number or two um but yeah but anyway this album i love this album this is like this is probably my favorite of the andy preboy catalog although his new stuff is really 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 good and the thing that i like about it too is that it's very different and i mean it's and this is like before uh white trash wins lotto but it, it has a very show tuney kind of feel to it on a lot of the places and then you have you know Stuff like, you know, who do you think we're coming for? Or um, 
um, Build a Better Garden, where it's they're pretty stomp and rock songs. And I, I love Build a Better Garden, too. I mean, that one is another – that was, like, probably the other one I was going to – I decided not to do Robin. But, yeah, I, I just think this is, like, a phenomenal album. Um, and it's actually, like, it's super out of print, but um, Andy Preboy um, sells, like, um, a couple of things online of um, – sort of the best of the two eras, which are basically the the first two solo albums, just minus a couple of tracks. Like uh, the one that, that is the uh, Sins, of His, Sins of Our Father's disc is basically the album minus uh, Daddy by Baby, a boob job, which actually isn't the, uh, the, the biggest uh, problem in the world to not have that song. But so uh, what'd y'all think? Yeah, I'm glad you picked this because I've been really meaning to check out Andy Preboy's solo stuff. I'm a huge Wall of Voodoo fan. I don't know if I – I can't say I prefer Preboy era to Ridgeway, to Stan Ridgeway era. You know, if someone put a gun to my head and said, oh, you have to take one Wall of Voodoo album and go onto a desert island, I'd say I, I totally picked Dark Continent. I know – I've heard some of these songs before because I've got some Wall of Voodoo demo collections uh, that I know um, – Robin Caron – there's a demo of Robin Caron Room on the collection, The Good, The Bad, The Ugly Americans – uh, I've got a collection of demos. I think they're both uh, Walla Voodoo and Andy Preboy with uh, with like versions of Tomorrow, Wendy. And I've, I get the feeling that if Walla Voodoo had kept on, this is what they would have sounded like. Yeah. Um, when I was doing the uh, putting the show notes together on YouTube, uh, I uh, saw yeah. that uh, there was a Walla Voodoo era demo version of Build a, Build a Better Garden was completely different and honestly way inferior. <laughs> It's it's interesting having the having the backstory to this before actually hearing the album. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, Preboy Andy Preboy is just such a great uh, songwriter, and again, I can't help but make comparisons to Sam Ridgeway because they they both approach the uh, the same dark subject matter in two very different ways. And I think they actually do have kind of weirdly similar voices. Like I like I mean they like Ridgeway is a bit more nasal, of course, but mm-hmm. I, I think their voices kind of live in the same neighborhood. I also just find it interesting that uh, before he be, uh, before his music career started, Andy Preboy was a morgue attendant, and that, I think that explains a lot. Yeah, <laughs> I saw that on Wikipedia and kind of laughed out loud. Yeah, how do you even get that job? <laughs> I don't know. I ask that question about a lot of occupations, especially railroad conductors. How do you do that? <laughs> there was cool. Anyway, I thought this was good. I uh, I enjoyed it quite a bit. I need to uh, listen to it quite a few more times, I think, but I I feel compelled to do that, which is a good sign. I liked his vocal style. It kind of reminded me of this sort of this kind of meatloaf esque theatricality, mm-hmm. and uh, I enjoyed that Only quite good. a bit. And I yeah. huh? <laughs> was that a good thing or a bad thing? No, meatloaf esque theatricality. Only good. I'm not a meatloaf fan. <laughs> You're not a meatloaf fan. <laughs> no, I um I had a I had a a decent uh, bad out of hell phase when I was little. I think we all did. <laughs> um, but yes, I re- I enjoyed the music uh, and I was trying to place like, who do these vocals remind me of? And um, I enjoyed it quite a bit. And I think that it's, it's very interesting musically. I like the, uh, the, um, the arrangements and the, the, uh, I'm listening to a couple tracks now and the piano and on sins of my father's and stuff. And, so I'm I'm kind of rambling a little bit just because it was uh, a little overwhelming, but I I enjoyed it and I would like to uh, to give it another listen. Uh, have you uh, listened to anything by Wall of Voodoo, Andrew? No, I know weren't they on? Uh, they were in Erg. Erg. They were in Erg. Yeah, that was Stan era, <laughs> right? And I'm sure you've heard Mexican what, Radio, but what song did they do on Erg? Uh, a song uh, called Back, Back in, in Flesh. Flesh. Back in Flesh. 
It was like the second or third song. Yeah, the second song. Um, at that point, I was probably still enjoying Erg, so I probably liked that song. <laughs> okay, it was early. It was early on. Yeah, if if you really like, you know, like those dark cinematic lyrics, then you mm-hmm. should totally check out Wall of Voodoo because, I mean, Mexican Radio, the, the song everyone knows, is very much not like the rest of their music. Mm. I think you'll agree with me on that one, Matt. Right? Uh, kind of, sorta. <laughs> I mean, I mean, it sounds like most of their music, but the lyric lyrically, it's very different. Well, I mean, it, it does have that kind of storytelling aspect, but it's it's a little it's a little bit more song than story, I think. Where a lot of times, yeah. like with Wall of Voodoo, you know, and and especially the Stan era would get very storyteller. Mm-hmm. I mean, like like the Passenger, or you know, I mean, Passenger is an awesome song, um, but but yeah, it's like. Um, Mexican radio is probably the poppiest thing that they've ever done, which is, well, I mean, at least for the Stan era, which is kind of saying something <laughs> that that's as poppy as, you know, they got. <laughs> so yeah, you, you should definitely check out the wall of voodoo stuff. The, uh, both for both versions of wall of voodoo. Yeah. I'll have to do that. Yeah. But both, both, uh, dark continent and, uh, seven days in Sammy's town for the two eras. Yeah, that's a good – well, you call it the West. You have to have two. Yeah, that's a good one too, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I think since we're kind of running a little late here, we've got to have Ant on soon. Let's get to my – to the third pick, my pick, if that's okay. Okay, sure. yeah. Ant, Ant looks like he's still um, uh, AFK right now anyway, so we're okay. All right. Uh, my pick this week is uh, the second album by Philadelphia, now defunct, uh, psychedelic uh, weirdo band – because they're, they're kind of hard to define, uh, Need New Body. Uh, most of Need New Body ended up is has become the band Man Man, which I've not checked out. When I was just going, the reason I picked this, I was just going through my collection like, oh, I haven't listened to this album in ages, and I remember loving it. And I still do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Though I can understand why someone wouldn't, because I, I, it's exactly the way I remember it. Half of it's like really, really fun, and there's about a third of it that makes me want to go, stop doing that. Mm-hmm. I think I explained in like the to you guys like there are like several tracks that are basically just them banging on shit and yelling. Confirmed. Yeah. <laughs> I at least I warned you. And those you are the, those are some of the songs that I just want to go stop doing that. Go back to making music. Um, but uh, yeah, the the song I picked uh, just as a hook. Uh, one of the best song songs on here is uh, show show us your heart or show me your heart. Show me your heart. Yeah. 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 I can never I can never get that title straight. So let's hear a little some of that right now. <laughs> okay, obviously you didn't like that one. Actually, I thought that was the probably the best track on the record. I just thought it was funny. <laughs> how how badly did I did I piss you people off? I Matt. was not a fan. <laughs> like I said, I, I I thought that "Show Me Your Heart" was the best track. Is my note was it's about the only one that sounded decent so far. <laughs> and to me, it just seemed like they were trying way too hard to be weird or wacky, like. They listened to a bunch of Frank Zappa records and then took away the wrong lessons. Hmm. 
And it's like, this is like one of the more brutal things that I've ever written in a, in a show note here. But it's like, uh, some bands make me really want to make music myself. They really get me in the mood to do that. But but this makes me not want to, just in case I make stuff as bad as this and just waste everybody's time. Mm. Ow. <laughs> Because that's what's kind of this is like that was like kind of the the theme for the record for me is was like this is just a waste of everybody's time. Eh, fair's fair. Basically, I got a new body when I saw them perform live. Uh, they opened for Hella, and they they are very fun live or were very fun live. But then again, Hella is so fucking dull in concert. Oh my god, I can't imagine going to see. I've seen Hella as an opening band for Les Claypool, and I can't imagine the main act being and having to sit through an opening act to see Hella. Ooh, no offense, Hella fans. <laughs> Are there any? <laughs> uh, I know John Pfeffer used to be. I don't know if he still is. I, th- now, I think actually that show made him stop being a Hella fan. I have to know, I'm generally curious what you thought of this, Andrew, because if, if Matt really hated it, you must have, I'm surprised you didn't poke, poke out your eardrums. <laughs> well, I didn't, uh, I didn't hate it as much as Matt did. I don't think, there were I could definitely do without the noisy interludes. Yeah, that um, makes two of us, and I'm I'm seeing this as the guy who picked the album, right? And uh, but you know some of the the song oriented songs uh, were pretty good. I mean I enjoyed "Show Me Your Heart" a fair amount, and uh, I thought "Ox" was pretty good. And you know there were a couple of other interesting melodic things in there. And I think that uh, you know I mean right now the I'm looking at iTunes. It's 23 songs. 41 minutes and i think that they could have trimmed trimmed it down quite a bit and been left with a stronger album overall because i think when they were when it uh there were song real musical melodic oriented pieces i thought it was fairly interesting but sifting through all of the filler tracks to get to those songs was arduous no uh, no argument here Mm. like i said it's worth i think it's for me it's worth suffering through some of those to get to the good stuff yeah, but I can understand why someone would think no. Yeah, I mean, I think I, I probably wouldn't have hated it as much if they had actually, you know, put on just the songs. I mean, I, I like some of the songs didn't really click that well with me either. But I mean, just the just the fact that I had to slog through so much stupid, boring shit to get to mediocrity it was just sort of like made me like be all like, "God damn this band." <laughs> Well, nice. th- thankfully for you, they broke up. Good. <laughs> I hope they're all working at Denny's now. <laughs> mm, Denny's. Oh, we don't know how well Man Man's doing these days, because that's where I think a lot of them went. <laughs> Nothing wrong with working at Denny's either. I just... <laughs> and Denny's is our, uh, our preeminent late-night post-concert establishment. Mm. Uh, yeah, I used to go there a lot in, in uh, college, too. And they, yeah, they're, they're pretty good. Yeah, I mean, when you need some, when you're starving and you need some post-concert junk food. Yeah. So I'm sorry, Denny. It's like, you don't deserve to have need new body, like, wrapped up with you. <laughs> that was uncalled for. <laughs> Brutal. <laughs> All right, anyway, I'm, I'm glad I picked this over my other pick. Uh, I was going to originally do uh, the second album by The Vapors, but I knew that was going to just be end up being you and me going, oh, my God, this album's so great. Yes, it is. Oh, my God. Yeah, I, I do love the Vapors. I, I I think they were a hugely underrated band. Uh, for those out there who don't know, uh, Vapors are the famous for turning Japanese, and that's about it. Ah, uh-huh. which which is a shame because it's not their best song by any stretch. No, no, it's not even their best single, honestly. 
News at 10. Okay, uh, I guess now that our, our picks are all done, uh, we, we, we have our, our very special guest here. Uh, why don't you introduce yourself, Ant? I'm Ant, and I'm special, apparently. Well, we're all, we're all special in our own way, but one of the ways in which you are special is that you collect shit. I do. Um, I, I said at the top of the, the show that your like uh, your main collections and, and uh, correct me if I'm I'm wrong, but your main collectings are on uh, they might be giants, XTC, Beatles, uh, Bob Dylan, and the Go Team. Uh, that's that's accurate. Did I did I miss anybody? Uh, not really. Not, there's there's no one else quite to the same extent. Yeah, I mean, I know that you know, just as being a, a music geek as you are, you've got a lot of like other stuff, like the R. Dean Taylor "Indiana Wants Me" single and stuff like that. But right, but you're not really like going out and like getting like every everything that R. Dean Taylor produced. Exactly. Hmm. Well, I guess like a like with, with your with your collection. I mean, what kind of things do you like tend to like focus in on? Besides, they might be giants. <laughs> For most of the other bands. They've put out so much material that it's not very feasible to try and collect everything they've ever done. So I'll often try and focus on uh, a particular album or a particular uh, series of releases or such. Okay, like 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 what like uh like what what Dylan stuff or or Beatles stuff? Well, I've tried to collect. I have collected. All of uh, Dylan's singles between 1965 and 1966, which are about 10, it's it kind of dividing it up into things I'm interested in makes it a lot easier, a lot more doable. And I know that you've got a lot of like stuff from uh, weird countries, too. <laughs> yes. I'm on a sort of uh, campaign, mostly impossible campaign to... Uh, collect records from every single country in the world, uh, which is when you get to the really obscure ones, gets to be very hard. So, uh, but I think I'm at about 51 or 52 right now. Cool. What, what's probably the weirdest country you've got? Weirdest? I mean, no offense to the people who live in that country. <laughs> but <laughs> Assuming they listen. Yeah. <laughs> I would definitely say the the least populous country is Barbados, where there's only about 250,000 people. I suppose that's pretty weird, considering, you know, when, when you factor in how many pressing, you know, how many copies of a pressing they would make there, it can't be very large. Mm-hmm. What, what, what's the Barbados record? Uh, it's a Beatles record. It's the Red Album. Oh, the, uh, the, the best of with the, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, so Red, yeah. Is Red uh, 60, is the, uh, the later half of the career or the early career i can never the red never is remember. the early one okay yeah the one with the the please please me picture on the cover right yeah. and then the the blue one is the one that has the later one that was rejected from yeah. the let it be session from, yeah from the get back album yeah 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 i i mean like i guess one of the things is like i mean with with the uh stuff from different countries i mean it is i guess Aside from the fact of like how it, it, that, it is cool to have like a record from Barbados or or wherever. What is it that like intrigues you? Because I know that you've got like uh, what'd you say like something like twenty six, twenty eight copies of the debut They Movie Giants record from all over the world. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I mean, what, what what's the difference? I mean, like if if like what 
what's so cool about having like a a, a a pink album from U.S. versus from oh I don't know Italy? Uh, well, I wish I wish I had one from Italy, <laughs> but I don't think there are any to have. Um, well, it's, with the more modern records, there frequently is no practical difference um, since uh, technology and globalization has made it so that you know everything sounds the same everywhere. Um, but with a lot of the older records, they each when each each and every country in the world would you know press it itself. Sometimes there'd be some pretty weird quirks with how it was produced and, you know, what different different material and different mixes and, you know, it's it's kind of weird to think, like, how did these things happen? Like, how did this track wind up missing or, <laughs> you know, replaced by another track, um, you know, on this album, which, you know, is a really famous album or something? Like, how does that happen? You know, these are the kind of things that I uh, enjoy thinking about, and, and I know that like there's like you've kind of shared with me like I feel like I think it's like it's an Italian copy of Lincoln, right? That's got the really weird yeah. like EQ settings on it. Uh, well, the CD is the CD Italian CD is um, has its bass way amplified and to the point of distortion. Um, the LP itself is okay, except it's pressed slightly fast. They must have asked or something. The the packaging itself is the main issue, which has so many errors. It's like they must have tried purposely to screw it up because I have no idea how they did got so many things wrong. That that's the one that has like the really long title for Santa's beard and some other stuff like that, right? Yeah, yeah. And it also has the the copy text on the perimeter of the label is printed backwards, like a mirror image. I don't even I don't <laughs> wow. even know how that happens. <laughs> Like you would have to hold the hold the LP up in front of the mirror to yeah. to read. Wow. Yeah. As as I, as I was saying, I have no idea how this happened. You know. I'm really curious. How, what? How did you get started with this? Like, was it just a uh, just a, a spur of the moment decision, or were you just? <laughs> well, I've always liked collecting things. Like pretty much as long as I can remember. Um, I used to collect rocks or something, and uh, I think I tried to collect pennies. I don't know. I've always had a uh, a bit of a thing for complete completeness, I guess you could say, and having a nice display of I don't know variations on a theme, which is kind of what collecting is about. You know, you're when you when you buy twelve different copies of the album, you're not getting them so you can listen to each and every one of them. What's what's probably the coolest thing that you have in your collection? Do you think? <sighs> um. I have so many cool things. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay, maybe like top five or something. <laughs> well, well, I do have the They Might Be Giants 1985 demo tape. That's a pretty cool item. Is that an original or the uh, re-release? That is the original. Oh, wow. That one I was wanting for a very long time. <laughs> As are we all. <laughs> I have a Korean copy of XTC Dukes of Stratosphere release 25 o'clock, which unlike all the other releases, comes with a lyric sheet, except the Korean label felt it was necessary to censor all the drug references, make up the majority of one of the songs. <laughs> so the lyrics for one of the songs have been replaced with things that apparently they thought sounded like the actual lyrics, but don't actually at all. 
so it makes it even more suspect than if you weren't able to hear it in the first place. And is it 20, the, what in the world that has the line, according to the lyric sheet, Ma Smut? Uh, yeah, I think so. <laughs> one of the lines is just M-A space S-M-T. I don't remember what one that is supposed to be, but some of them are much closer sounding to the actual lyrics than not. And of course, the song itself, the vocals are so drenched in reverb and distortion that without a lyric sheet, you have no idea what they're saying most of the time anyway. So really, the the inclusion of a lyric sheet was, if anything, counterproductive. Yeah, and, and I mean, did the even the original normal, like, UK release, did that even come with a lyric sheet? No, no, no other release does. So, Anne, is most of your collection in physical hard copy? Yes. That's that's the fun in collecting. Yeah. Does it take up a lot of space in your place of residence? <laughs> it's it, I'm working on it. The fact that I'm really only dedicated to a couple bands helps. Yeah. It's manageable for the time being, but... <laughs> Do you have like a dedicated room or anything like that? No, I, I wish. <laughs> yeah. Uh, someday. 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 So since you collect physical copies, do you, as a collector, are you averse to the whole digital music sort of transition? No. I think if anything, it's really helping the whole collection concept because, I mean, when CDs, I mean, I, I wasn't really around for it, but when CDs came along, I guess, you know, people stopped being as into collecting music. Mm-hmm. Um, but now that in the digital age where you can get an album, a whole album instantly and without having to hold on to anything, I think it's sort of throwing the whole collection aspect of owning a real thing into a different light. Like it seems, you know, it's, it seems more special now. So I think there's sort of a, there may be a sort of resurgence in that actually. It's interesting. How do you, how do you store your LPs? I don't know how much of an actual of a record nerd you are, just outside of a collector's nerd, but I know there's a lot of people who are very, very particular about how they uh, keep their records. <laughs> I have a desk with some cabinets in it, and I have adjusted the shelves to to fit the right height of the LPs. So you know, upright, not in direct sunlight. I guess I don't know. I don't. I'm not particularly obsessed with the you know humidity or. You know, that kind of thing. Well, it isn't too humid here, which is good, but... <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think Portland, Oregon is probably one of the the places that's probably best in the country for record collecting just in terms of temperature. And, and it's a very <laughs> yeah. temperate thing, so you don't really have to worry about, you know, heat waves or humidity or... <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'm terribly worried because I gotta, I'm moving soon. I'm going to put all my records in storage, and I'm, I've done it before, and they seem to come out okay, but... Oh boy, it, you know, a, a storage shed in Philadelphia uh, is not the most conductive environment. <laughs> also, I'm genuinely curious too. Uh, how do you track some of these things down? I'm looking. I think I found your collection on the on the. the this might be a wiki. Yeah. Yeah. Some of the stuff you can't just find this like flipping through at the bins at a record store. No, most of it's most of it is eBay and other online retailers. Very few of my actual collection pieces I found in stores. Uh, the internet is really wonderful that way. <laughs> no argument here. Do you have any like kind of like uh, holy grails though? Like, I mean, aside from, aside from countries that you don't already have, but I mean like any particular items that you're like, oh my God, if I could get this, I would plot. <laughs> Certainly not any holy grails in the sense that there's only one. 
but there's hundreds of them. Well, yeah, I mean, with record collecting, it's sort of, yeah, but but you know what I mean, where it's just sort of like, oh my God, these things are really hard to find, but they're so cool. Well, I don't know, a lot of, a lot of pressings from the weirder countries are hard to find. And then sometimes it's not even weirder countries, but certain places like Australia or New Zealand, pressings from there can be really hard to find. I don't know if there's any one particular item or such since... And as far as they might be giants goes, I have pretty much everything. <laughs> I try and not obsess too much over a lot of items that I want because they all they all cost they or they can all cost incredible amounts of money. So if I worried too much about them, I would just end up broke. <laughs> <laughs> so you mentioned that just now that you said you have everything almost of there might be giants. So is there as a collector, is there an end point? Like, what do you do when you've collected all there is to collect from a particular <laughs> artist? Do you move on to another artist, or how do you deal um, with that? Well, I've never really done that. The closest I've come is with the Go team. I have all but one of their releases that have been on vinyl. And they haven't been around for too long, but they have a fair number of you know record releases. So it's they're kind of they're doable, but not too easy and i don't know it's you know i have other always other artists that i'm collecting at the same time so Mm -hmm. i never feel at a loss for (laughs) some things to acquire gotcha and and speaking of the go team too doesn't like the the lead guy of the go team like use uh your your scans of of your the album artwork that you've made or am i jumbling that up a bit or a little bit he's he's well i know this guy who runs what is basically the Go Team fan site, and he knows uh, Ian Parton, who is basically Mr. Go Team. And what I learned is that apparently Ian knows about my stuff and appreciates it. That's pretty cool that you know you're such a such a like you know extreme collector nerd that even the guy in the band is all like, yeah, that's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, I, that that made my week. <laughs> <laughs> What is the the go team thing that you're missing? It's like a I think you told me once where it's like a alternate blue sleeve of a single or something. Oh well, I'm kind of missing. It's kind of one and a half things. I'm what, the one. I think the thing you're thinking of is that there's a a different there's a slightly different pressing of their debut EP, which came out in 2000, and I think it was limited to like 750 copies. There's two different pressings of it, which have uh, different writing in the dead wax. It's a pretty minimal thing, like what I mentioned before. I'm, you know, I try not to stress out about it too much. <laughs> um, the other, the the one item I'm truly missing is a really bizarre Japanese 12-inch remix single, which has the name of a shares a name with a Japanese CD EP that came out at the same time, but shares none of the same tracks. <laughs> oh, um, uh, it's really weird. That's gonna and, throw things off. Yeah, it's it's really bizarre, and I haven't been able to find an, an affordable copy of the twelve inch yet. So that that's the you know the one item that I'm really missing. Mm-hmm. But uh, I don't know. I mean, their other stuff is pretty. It can be tricky to acquire, but it's not impossible. I mean, they have three albums, the latter two of which have two different pressings, UK and US. Um, the first one has three different pressings because they reworked the album. So. Basically, you can own seven, it just, you know, there's only seven different pressings of all their LPs. And then there's a bunch of singles. So it's 
as I was saying, it's it's doable, but it's you know not too easy, especially because living in the United States, it can be hard to find stuff from British bands. Uh, one of the things too is like you you aren't, and I mean, correct me if I'm wrong here, but I mean, you're more interested in collecting like records and CDs and stuff, and and less less on the the merch side. Is that is that fair to say? Do you think? Yeah, that's not to say I don't own dozens of. They might be giant shirts, but <laughs> um, or the fez, <laughs> yeah. But I don't know. That stuff. That stuff is pretty cool too. But you know, I it can it can be. It's one of those things that can be really expensive, even when it's new, right from the outset. So, yeah. you know, I try to limit myself. There's books are another thing that if I could let myself get into collecting, but that would be really dangerous because books are also really expensive. <laughs> um, so you know, I I try and keep it. To a point. <laughs> <laughs> At least as sane as having, you know, almost 30 copies of the Pink Album can be. Right. I try not to get too obsessed by the Beatles or Dylan, for that matter, because of the dozens and dozens of pressings of every single thing they ever released. And most of those dozens are often command incredible prices. And I'm often in awe of people who do collect these things because just for the just for the money, I have no idea how they do it. <laughs> well, you'd be the one to ask about this because a friend of mine has made this claim about Beatles records and collecting that the Beatles are the only band where you can use the word mint and apply it to a record that's still not that is not in the original wrapping, not in the original plastic. Do you know if that, do you know if that's the case or not? <laughs> I don't know exactly what they mean by that. So you're not into like you know record grading or anything of, of for the stuff in your collection. Most collectors and sellers refuse to call anything that isn't still sealed mint. So I don't I don't know. I mean, especially the thing with records is that even if they're unopened, you get an unopened record and you opened it, that doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to be absolutely perfect because you know there's pressing defects and wear right. can happen within the sleeve. So. Really, I don't think any record is mint, whether it's sealed or not. Still sealed, is, in my opinion, is the closest you can get to that. Okay, that, that clears things up a bit. Thanks. Yeah, and I've even heard, too, that, like, I mean, sometimes the shrink wrap itself can make the album, you know, not perfect because sometimes they'll be too tight and cause warpage. Yeah, yeah. Um, and also they can shrink wrap can really damage the corners of the sleeve. Yeah, that too, yeah. Because, yeah, I'll, I'll have a few, like, records like that where they'll, you know, be shrink-wrapped and they'll, the the corners will be all munched because it's, yeah. yeah. I guess one one of the things I've, I was asking, and I think we've talked about this in the past before, but um, do you have any copies of any of the um, Russian um, Samadzot, like, uh, singles that were um, cut, like, cut as, like, flexi-discs on old oh, uh, um, X-rays? <laughs> I would love to. <laughs> But I don't. The closest I have is a Soviet bootleg EP pressed on, you know, regular badly made vinyl. <laughs> um, <laughs> not an X-ray. <laughs> but yeah, not not those. I would, I would love to own one of those. But those, um, due to their combination of both record and kind of political history, they they they're pretty expensive. Mm. Yeah, I mean, do you, do you guys know about those or? Mm. Yeah, I, I knew about the uh, the Summers Dot uh, X Ray record records. I, I, I saw. I know that was on Boing Boing a while back. That 
just that is really cool. I'd, uh, I'd like just get one just to have. I don't care what if, what's on it. I just get one to have one. Yeah, and uh, for Andrew uh, and anyone else who's listening, um, basically what they were is like, well, obviously in the uh, Soviet era, there was a lot of bootlegging of music going along, going on. And but one of the things is that it turned out that uh, one of the cheapest sources. And, and by which I mean mostly free, <laughs> sources of um, material to cut records on were discarded x-ray film. Hmm. And so you would, they would find you know, boxes of, from old hospitals of like old x-rays, take them, and then cut the grooves into them. So you'd, have, you'd basically get, like, say, an x-ray of somebody's like, leg or arm or chest or whatever, and you could you know, it'd have a hole punched in the middle of it, and you could put it on and listen to, I don't know, help on, on some guy's sternum. That's pretty cool. Rich Nett were saying just from like a political standpoint too. I mean, it's like, you know, it's a cool piece of history as well as a really cool looking picture disc. <laughs> I think we should probably, I think we probably got to call this a show because it's getting a little late and I know Andrew's got to get running. But. Yeah. But, but yeah, I mean, do you have anything else you'd like to add, Ant? I mean, not that I can think of. There's so many things. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have a? Are you on the internet anywhere? Where can we find you besides that? This might be a wiki uh, page. That's pretty much the extent of my public internet presence. I have few. Uh, I don't know. I, I suppose I have contact information there, and that's a good starting point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you have anterobang.org too, but the, all all that's there on the front page is just an anterobang. So yes, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how interesting that'll be for uh, folks to look at. Although the Intero bag is pretty awesome. Yes. Never, never underestimate. Cool. Well, yeah, thank you very much for, you know, coming on and talking about your, uh, your collections, the records and stuff. Cause I mean, it's, I know that us three of the, the, the hosts, we're all music geeks, just like you are, of course, but I don't know if like we really have collections the way that, that you do the, the, mm. to the extent, I mean, it's like, like I've got all of like the, say the normal, they might be giants albums and EPs. But I basically just have the one American pressing of each, you know. Yeah. Well, I think it, it takes a certain, you know, there's a collection, a collection bug that, you know, really, really gets you going. Mm-hmm. And I mean, and having been over to your, your um, house and have looked at the LPs, it's, it is really cool, especially to hold, you know, you know, like that weird Korean uh, yeah. Dukes record, you know, or... You know, well, the demo tape too, or the purple to pay eight track, or whatever. You know, it's like it's. Yeah. I, I can kind of see. I could kind of get like kind of a, I guess, kind of a contact high from you know, <laughs> you know, holding you know this like you know German pink test pressing or or whatever. You know, it, it is cool. Yeah. Yeah. So I yeah, thank you very much for uh, sharing with us. Well, no problem. Yeah. I could I I could I could talk about this stuff all day. <laughs> <laughs> And if you don't mind, like, because I know that you've got a few pictures of your collection. Do you mind, um, like, sending me links to those, and I can throw those in the show notes? Uh, sure. You know, so if you if you want to just send me like a few of those links, I'll throw those in the show notes, so anyone listening can go go scope out Ant's uh, cool ass <laughs> collection. All right. Thanks a lot, Ant. <laughs> thank you. Thanks. Yeah, I guess thank to you, thank you to you guys too. This was this was great. Um, it's good to be doing. Good to get, go to, back to doing picks too. Yeah. Where can we find each other online? Okay, I am on kittyseasons.com. Hot <laughs> damn. You go. <laughs> Andrew? Uh, AndrewMarvin.net and at AndrewMarvin on Twitter. Oh, you're not, not going to plug Zinc Geek? 
Oh, yeah. I have a, a show that's uh, another show that's uh, going to be in its sixth episode uh, by the time this goes on the air. And that's at zengeek.net where me and the fantastic Jeffrey Incho talk about uh, <laughs> mindfulness and technology and other cool stuff. So that's at zengeek.net. And uh, I'm at sandspoint.com and sandspoint on Twitter. And that's pretty much it. We're crushonradio.com. Leave us a review on iTunes. And you really should re- give, give us a review after all the work we did for this episode. There's been so many Skype problems. You don't want to know. <laughs> yes. I, Skype was not playing nice today. That's why I, I bashed out my c- connection or my, my URL just because it was like, what, the third or fourth time I tried to say it where it threw up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so, yes. <laughs> so, um, I guess join us next week and hopefully we'll actually have a goddamn connection. <laughs> We better, especially if Pilmer's going to be on. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Thanks, guys. Thanks to everybody, and thanks to Ant.